Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. It is so great to be with you again. A year or so ago, I picked up a new hobby, and I've shared this many times before if you've been coming to this church for some time, um, but I started running, and it's a hobby of mine. It's something that I'm, I'm really enjoying, and there's a couple reasons why I started running last year. The first was this. I was going to turn 50, so last year in December, I turned 50 years old, and I began to look at my life, in particular my Uh, physique, the shape that my body was in, you know, pun intended, round, if you know what I mean, and began to realize that if I don't take control of some aspect of my health, the rest of my life, however long it might be, is not going to be well. So I wanted to just be a healthier person. And uh, in my mind, I love the idea of running. I just had never gone out running before. So I decided to start running last year. Um, another reason why I started running was uh, many friends of mine who are pastors were uh, constantly reminded me of the effects of pastoring um, on the physical body. In particular, the issue of stress and how it, it, it damages the heart that many times pastors um, have heart disease and heart issues because uh, the stress that they endure as a pastor. Now, I'm not saying these things to get you know, condolences from you. Oh, Jeff, we're so sorry your job is stressful. That's not what I'm saying. But it just made me realize that there is a real issue inside of me, what with my age, my, um, my health, and the job that I have that was going to cause my heart to burn out faster than I wanted it to. So I just took matters into my own hands and began to run. And it's been a great thing for me. And I ran all last year. I went to the place where I couldn't even run but two minutes without having to stop and walk to last year on my birthday in December, I, I ran five miles straight. And I was just ecstatic. I'd never even thought that was possible. I continued to run this year, and this year I've been trying some new things. When I first started running, all of my friends seemed to run much faster than me, and I wished I could run fast like them. I would say things, I wish I could run a six-minute mile, an eight-minute mile, or whatever, and I, I I long to run faster. But this year, I'm actually doing something a little different. Rather than trying to run faster, I'm trying to train in such a way where I'm monitoring my heart rate. Now, for people People in here who might not know what this is, the heart beats at a certain number of times per minute. We call that the heart rate. And there are some training ideas from athletic trainers and coaches and even doctors that state if you if you run and keep your heart in a certain zone, if it beats at so many beats per minute for extended periods of time, you're actually doing your body a great benefit. And so what heart rate training can do for a person is it can prevent you from overexerting yourself and actually causing damage to your heart. It can help you recover on days when you, when you want to run but can't run as hard. If you can run in such a way that your heart rate stays at a certain level, you'll produce the most benefit for you. And so long story short, I have learned what my maximum heart rate is, and that's basically where you can't run anymore or you're going to damage yourself. You can't 
can't breathe, your heart's going to explode, if you will, and you work at a certain uh, percentage below that maximum heart rate, and you just try to live in that zone. I call it the sweet spot. So this summer, I've been heart rate training. So imagine this, I go out for a run and rather than setting my watch to see my pace, like how fast I'm going, rather than see how far I've gone or any of those things, I just put my watch face onto my heart rate and it tells me how many beats per minute my heart is going. And I have in my mind for that day, let's say, I wanna run at 148 beats per minute. So I'm going out for a run and I'm beginning to realize that I'm, I'm not running at 148 beats per minute. My heart rate is 155. So I slow down and I walk a little bit to get my heart rate to drop. And over time, after having done this for several weeks, I began to notice that I can tell where my heart rate is without even looking at my watch that I can just pay attention to my body if my, my breathing is more labored than I feel like it should be, if I'm sweating a little more profusely, and I'm a sweater, just so you know, I, I can tell just by those things alone if my heart rate is out of that zone or that sweet spot. And then it became like a game to me. When I'm running on my long runs, I begin to say, I bet my heart rate is at 142. And I look at my watch to see where it is. And I was getting real close at knowing. Now, all of that to say this one thing. I was running a couple weeks ago, keeping track of my heart rate, making these little micro adjustments here or there to keep my heart rate in that zone or sweet spot. When I had this sort of epiphany or thought, training your body to run according to your heart rate is a lot like living the Christian life. What do I mean by that? The Bible has a lot to say about our hearts. And, and when it talks about our hearts, make no mistake, it's not talking about the, the organ inside of our chest that pumps oxygen, oxygenated blood to our bodies. It's never talking about that. When the Bible talks about our heart, it's talking about the, the inner part of man. It's talking about that which drives our affections and our, and our passions. It's the thing inside of us that motivates us. And the Bible is quick to tell us that all of us are born with a heart that is in fact sinful or broken, if you will. That by our very nature, our hearts do not have the affections or the passions or the motivations to live for God and by God's design for us. We typically want to rebel against God and live our own way. But God knows that that heart will not work for us. And so he has promised to give us a new heart. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Adam Clark was an 18th century Methodist theologian and he commented this in his commentary on that passage. He says, God is promising to take away the stony heart, the heart that is hard, impenetrable, and cold, the affections and the passions that are unyielding, frozen to good, unaffected by heavenly things that are slow to credit the words of God. 
He, re- he continues, God says, I will entirely remove this heart from you. For it is the, it, the stony heart is the opposite of that which I have promised you. And you cannot have a new heart and the old heart at the same time. So I will give you a heart of flesh, one that can feel and one that can enjoy, that can feel love to God and to all men. And he continues, it will be a proper habitation for the living God. Ezekiel's pointing to this, this reality that God wants to make us new. He wants to give us new passions, new affections, new motivations, a heart that doesn't beat for the things of God. He wants to replace. He wants to put inside of us a heart that does beat for God. Ezekiel calls the old heart the stony heart and the new heart the heart of flesh, the one that loves the things of God. Now, for for those of us who have an understanding of this, we call this being born again. When we rely on the work of Jesus Christ for us, the one who can reconcile us to God, the one who makes a way for us to return to God, when we have faith to believe in all that Jesus has done for us, we become new creatures. We become born again. And it's in that moment that we are metaphorically given a new heart. So on my run that morning, I was thinking about my heart, not just the heart that I was trying to exercise into better health, not just the heart that I wanted to uh, exercise for, for stress relief. I was thinking about the heart that God has given me in the work of his son, Jesus. And much like my heart when I'm running, when I begin to notice things that were causing my heart to skip out of the zone or the sweet spot that I wanted to keep it in, I began to think about things in my life, maybe even in your life, that would cause you to think, man, what I'm thinking right now, what I'm doing right now, this isn't the character of Jesus for me. I'm thinking and acting in a way that doesn't truly beat the way God would want my heart to be. So I wondered if I can pay attention to my breathing and the sweat on my brow and just notice if my heart's in the wrong spot, can we do the same thing in our lives when we notice the things that we're thinking or maybe doing or saying? Can those also be indicators of an issue of our heart? Has our godly heart, the new heart that Christ makes available to us, is is it beating to a different passion than he has given us? And so that to say, for the next few weeks, I want to spend some time talking about some indicators in our life that would tell us whether or not our our hearts are in that sweet spot to see if our new fleshy hearts that God gives us are actually beating with his heartbeat inside of us. Over the next few weeks, I want to talk about the issue of worry and anxiety, and that can be a tell to us if we are actually outside of what God wants for us. Are we too consumed with the world around us? Are we too anxious about things? And I want to talk maybe in a week or so about anger. If we have issues of anger, this would be an indicator to us that our heart isn't truly beating like God intends it to beat. But this week, I want to talk about forgiveness, or rather, I should say, unforgiveness, Now, I want to talk about unforgiveness because I think it's one of the foundational aspects of Christian faith. We have to think about unforgiveness because it is something that the Bible has a lot to say. And specifically, Jesus himself, when we read the writings in the New Testament where Jesus speaks, that he too has a lot to say about unforgiveness. The truth is this, is that whenever we live 
um, in this world and as we continue to live, there is going to be times when people are going to wrong us, that they're going to wound us, they're going to say things that are hurtful, they're going to maliciously attack us, they're going to, um, uh, they're going to say things uh, against us, they're going to lie to us, to cheat on us, to mistreat us, etc. And all of those things are going to point to this reality. We have to make a choice to either forgive them or not to forgive these people when those things happen. It, this life is going to hurt us and how are we going to respond when we have been hurt? I mentioned earlier that Jesus had a lot to say about forgiveness. In fact, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, right, in the Lord's Prayer, he, he says, you should say these things too. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Forgive us as we forgive other people. And even on the, the day that Jesus was crucified, as he's sort of brought along the assembly line of execution between two criminals when he's nailed to the cross, rather than murmuring hateful speech towards the Roman soldiers who are crucifying him, he says these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus had a lot to say about forgiveness, and we can look at our lives and begin to understand that if our, if our thoughts are of unforgiveness, if we're harboring unforgiveness, inside of us, it's an indicator to us that our heart is definitely not in that sweet spot. So I want to spend some time today, what do we do to talk about what we do rather when someone harms us? What do we do when they lie to us and cheat us, cheat on us, and when someone says things against us and slanders maybe our reputation? The question we oftentimes want to ask is, can we seek revenge? Can we seek revenge? Now, here's the beauty of that question. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he asked Jesus that question. He says, what can we do when somebody harms us? Look, look with me in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. This is Jesus coming uh, with Peter. Um, Peter comes up to Jesus and says this. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, he says. Now, it's interesting what Peter's saying here. There's a, a current rabbinic teaching, means the, the rabbis were currently teaching that a person has to forgive someone who wrongs them three times. And then after the third time, you can seek your own revenge. So Peter is saying in a, in a, in a pious and holy way, wink, wink, Jesus, I know what the rabbis say, but how about this? If someone sins against me, how about I just forgive them seven times? That sounds good, Right. Jesus responds in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, we don't have the time to go into what Jesus is really saying there. There's a whole backstory in that. But just know this, Jesus is rebuking Peter for thinking that seven times is enough. He's implying actually that 77 times, not that it's a real number, but just this idea that you're gonna have to forgive people infinitely. I mean, think about this. If you actually have to forgive someone 77 times, I mean, the same person, maybe for the same thing 77 times, let me just say this to you. Maybe you need to find a new friend. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? But the idea is this. You need to forgive someone continually over and over and over again. So we know this, that the path forward in our life, our Christian life with our new heart beating for the things of God, when someone wrongs us, the path forward is never to be vengeance, but it's forgiveness. 
which leads to the next question. How is that even possible? How can we forgive people who wrong us and lie to us and cheat us? Jesus then proceeds to tell a parable. Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. I'll read all of it in its entirety. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went and he put that man or put him in prison until he should pay his debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that all of your debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers or the tormentors is how that could also be translated until he should pay all of his debt. And then Jesus says these words. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So when we talk about forgiveness, it's probably best to define it. And sometimes the best way to define something is to actually say what it's not. So when we're talking about forgiveness, I want you to know we're not talking about excusing things. Many years ago when my wife and I were um, young married couples with young kids, I have two teenage daughters now, but when they were little, every once in a while we would take the girls over to grandma's house or something. And then Stacy and I would go out to dinner, call it a date night, call it what you want, maybe just peace and quiet from the cacophony that is the noise of young children at the house. So we would drop the kids off, go out to dinner and inevitably, inevitably, I can't even say that, it would always happen to us that we would sit in a restaurant and in that section of the restaurant would be a family with a young toddler who's losing their mind, right? Just screaming, acting crazy. And the parents are doing their best to control him or not. I don't know. Just know this. Every time we would go out to eat, it never failed. We would sit in a restaurant by a kid that was going crazy, Here's what I mean. I do not need to forgive that family or forgive that child for interrupting my quiet date night with my dinner. Those events are excusable. Children act up, restaurants become crowded. Those things happen to us all the time. That's not the stuff I'm talking about. So forgiveness is not excusing things away, okay? So hear me when I say that. Some things that happen to us in life aren't even forgivable offenses. Hear me. And if you think everything is a forgivable offense, there's bigger issues going on in your life. <laughs> Sometimes things just happen. 
right? The train conductor doesn't need to apologize to you every time you get stopped by a train. Life happens. So we're not talking about excusing certain things and we're also not talking about forgetting things. Remember, remember in the parable, uh, the, the story here that Jesus just taught, the master, when he had heard the servant that he had forgiven, refused to forgive someone else, he rescinded what had taken place. He, he took back his forgiveness. Now think about this. What we learn is that that master didn't forget that there was a debt owed that he forgave. He remembered, I know what I did for you and you didn't do it for someone else. So when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about for forgetting things either. And lastly, we're not always talking about reconciliation. Reconciliation is important to us. And forgiveness can be a huge part of what reconciliation is. But forgiveness isn't reconciliation. For extra credit, if you will, if you want to read the passage right before this parable, Jesus talks about what a person should do if they want to be reconciled with someone else. And there's a prescription there that you can follow in your life. But forgiveness is not always leading to reconciliation. And part of this is because some of the people that have wronged us have since moved on or passed on, and we can't be reconciled to them. So if it's not excusing and forgetting and recon reconciling, what is forgiveness then? Well, simply put, it's this. It's costly mercy is what it is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian um, and pastor, and he eventually became a martyr. He died at the hands of the Nazis in the spring of 1945. And he said this about forgiveness. All forgiveness is a form of suffering. I'll give you a story here. Imagine you loan your car to someone and they're driving it. And while they're driving it, they're not paying attention. And because of that, they're texting or doing something on their phone. They run over the curb on the side of the road and pop one of the front tires. So now you've got a car that you've borrowed out to someone that now has a flat tire. And what's gonna happen is either the person who borrowed the car is gonna have to pay to fix that or you're gonna have to pay to, to fix that. Now know this, that that debt that's taken place by loaning your car out to someone and then they have uh, broken the tire or flattened the tire because of their um, not paying attention is a lot like what forgiveness can look like for us. But know this, not all of the debts that people owe us can be repaid. Not all of the harm that people have done to us can be repaid, even in apologies. Sometimes we have to understand that what's happened to us is happening to us and we have to allow the Lord to work through our lives and allow us to lean into forgiveness even though we don't want to. Oftentimes when people harm us, we secretly plot against them. Now we're Christians, we never say this thing publicly, but privately in our private prayer language, we say things like, Lord, don't let them succeed. They said things about my my reputation that harmed me and I've lost business because of it. Lord, don't let their business succeed. No one would like here would ever pray something like that, right? Or we say things like that. Lord, don't let them be popular because they, they said something against me at school or, or whatever. We secretly plot against their reputation or their opportunities. And if I could confess something to you, this happened to me when I was on that run when I was thinking about my heart and I was thinking about my new Christian heart and things in my life that are maybe indicators to me whether or not I'm actually living the life that God has for me, something creeped up. I'd realized that I'd been walking in unforgiveness. 
And I don't know how it happened. I don't know if I saw someone on the side of the road or something, but a person's face came into my mind and their name, and immediately I began to think hard things about them. Now, what you need to know in this whole story is that person had wronged me previously. And a couple of years ago or whatever it was, they said something against me and, and slandered my reputation, and it frustrated me. And I'd basically cut them off. And I thought over time that I had forgiven them, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all of the emotions come flooding back, and I realized I have not forgiven them at all. Here's the thing about following Jesus. The term Christian means little Christ. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we should at least look like the one we're following. And when I hear the words of Jesus being nailed to the cross, Father, forgive them for they they don't know what they're doing. How can I walk around not forgiving someone because they said something about me that I didn't like? It was untrue as well. But besides that, following Jesus means that we have to live a life that's completely surrendered to him. We use language like, like guys on the, at the poker table, right? They're all in. When you're following Jesus, you're all in or you're not. It just means you're pushing, pushing all of your money into the table or you're not. And as followers of Jesus, we say that we're all in. But sometimes we misunderstand what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean we're taking everything in our life and giving it, giving it to him all at once. It just means we're giving him all of our life all the time over time. So there's going to come a day when you need to push a few more chips into the middle of the table, so to speak. There's going to be a day when you need to forgive someone that you haven't forgiven before. There's going to be a day when you need to act a certain way that you'd never wanted to act before. And for me on that run, I, I realized I had not forgiven someone. I decided to follow Jesus some 20 years ago, and I realized even now that I wasn't giving him all of my life. On my runs, when I notice my perspiration is too high or I notice my breathing is too labored, I make these little micro adjustments in my life. I slow down just a little bit and my heart rate comes right into check. When I saw unforgiveness in my life, when you see unforgiveness in your life, we have to make adjustments. We have to make micro adjustments so that we can get our hearts back into the sweet spot that God wants for us. And the power to do all of that is found in the next part of that parable. Let me, let me go back to Matthew chapter 18, verse 31. This is after the, the one servant didn't forgive his fellow servant. His, his fellow servant. In verse 31, it says, when the fellow servant saw that and saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And so they went and reported this to their master, everything that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? The power to forgive someone else, their trespasses against us, they're slandering us, their harm towards us, is to remind ourselves of how much we've been forgiven. That we should extend mercy to others because God has been merciful to us. Tom Hughes, the pastor and author, writes in his book, Down to Earth, in other words, forgiven people are to forgive people. And sometimes remembering the size of our debt, which is forgiven in Christ Jesus, It creates the power for us to forgive others. 
I want you to know this person that had wronged me, I'd mentioned they'd said some things against me that weren't in fact true. So I was right. They were wrong. And I walked in that for a number of years. And you know what that's called? It's called entitlement, <laughs> right? Of course I should feel this way because they were wrong. I was right. And the problem with entitlement is it, it is a roadblock, a wall, a hurdle between you and forgiveness. If you feel entitled in your frustration, your anger, your unforgiveness, then you'll never move towards forgiveness. But when we stand in this place and realize what God has done to us by forgiving us our sins, by forgiving everything that we have done to everyone else and him through the work of his son Jesus, then we can be people who can forgive too. To seek retribution from someone that has wronged you is to deny the cross of Jesus. To say something like this, well, that wasn't enough. Okay, let me back up. Let me, let me unpack what I'm trying to say. When we use language like Jesus went to a cross and he died for us sinners, that he died for all of us, right? What we're saying is that he died not only for me, but he's also died for the other person. And, wait for it, and he's died for the person who's wronged you. And see, their sin against you was also a sin against God, and God was willing to forgive them by putting his son Jesus on a cross. And what we're saying when we refuse to forgive them is we say the cross of Jesus wasn't enough for them, which is obscene because we seem to act like it was enough for us. It was enough for us to be forgiven, and we've done some pretty crazy uh, bad things, wouldn't you agree? We don't need to confess those now, but think about all the things that you've done that God has forgiven you. And now we think that God, uh, the cross of Jesus wasn't enough to forgive them and that we don't have to forgive them either. We forgive not because we feel like it or because it's easy, because we don't feel like it and it's not easy. No, we forgive because it's, it's necessary. It's a requirement. It's foundational to who we are. We follow, we follow a man who was crucified and he, he asked God to forgive them as they were murdering him. We follow Jesus who was willing to lay down his own life that we might be forgiven. We forgive because we are forgiven. Let me just say this as I think of it. If you want to forgive someone of something, and maybe, maybe you're like me, you've been holding on to something for the past couple of years. Maybe, maybe it's even greater than that. Maybe you're holding on to something that, that happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago. If you want to forgive that person, then you need to truly understand that, that you've been forgiven by Jesus as well. You need to have that understanding first and foremost. I would say this, we can't truly forgive unless we truly understand the forgiveness that we experience. Here, here's what I'd like to do. I want to close with this idea. Um, I want to give us a, a few moments to, to pray in a second. And I want us to just meditate and think on the things that God has done for us. I'm never a person who wants to go back into my past and think of all the terrible things that I've done. One of my good friends once told me this. 
bringing up the past without repenting is just bragging. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to go into my past and, and like brag on all the terrible things that I've done. I don't want that. But sometimes it's necessary for us to go back and remember truly how, how terrible we were sometimes. Only to remind ourselves of what Jesus has forgiven us for. So if we could spend a few moments meditating on that, considering that, then how, how much easier will, it be, will we be able to move forward to forgive others then? If we can stop and consider how good God has been to us through his son Jesus, how good he is to us in the, in the work of Jesus, then we can move into a place of forgiveness as well. I'd ask you today, how's your heart doing? If you were to rate your heart, is it beating with the affections and the passions of Christ? Do you see adjustments in your life that need to be fixed? Do you have unforgiveness? And if so, let's go to God and thank him for our forgiveness first and then ask him to help us forgive others. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for our time here today. We thank you for your son, Jesus, whom we call Lord and Savior. And God, we want him to be the example of our lives. Our new hearts that you have promised to give us at being born again. Lord, we want to know if they are beating correctly, if they are in the right spot. And so we look to all the, the issues of our life and we ask God, are our hearts in the right spot? God, we give you permission to peer into the innermost parts of us and expose the things, even now, God, things that we're not even thinking about. Would you reveal to us some of the things that we don't have in right order? God, specifically, we ask about unforgiveness. If we are walking with unforgiveness, Lord, would you bring to mind the people, the persons who have wounded us and harmed us that we feel still owe us a debt? And God, would you encourage us and empower us to forgive them? God, we would be the worst of all hypocrites if we would accept forgiveness through your son, Jesus, but not accept it on their behalf as well. God, change our hearts. Help us to know how good you are to us so that we can be good to other people. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rindicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.